during a uh, British symposium or a conference on religion, experts from around the world were gathered at Oxford University to debate the subject, what if any belief that was unique to the Christian faith. That was the title of the conference. And they began by eliminating all the possibilities. First, the incarnation. And uh, many people from other religions said, well, you know, we have our gods, uh, uh, stories of our gods appearing in human flesh. So they went down the list. Miracles. Well, everybody claimed all kinds of miracles. Not documented, no evidence, but they claimed miracles anyway. At that point of the debate, C.S. Lewis wandered into the room, wondering what was going on. And he saw all these people, and so his colleagues came by and said to him, and said, well, we, we are debating and trying to discover the uniqueness of Christianity. Well, Lewis's response was very simple and to the point. He said, that's easy. It's grace. And then he left the room. I would have loved to have been there right after that kind of statement and what they said after that. But the debate continued for a little while, and finally they concluded that grace does distinguish the Christian faith. Indeed. I want you to listen carefully because it is absolutely unique among all religions. Because I do not consider Christianity to be a religion. Because I'm going to explain to you in a minute, all religions are basically trying to earn God's favor. But Christianity is where God reached down to man, not man trying to reach and please God. And that's why I don't call it a religion. But I want to tell you, for the God of the universe to give His grace freely is truly unique. For the God of the universe to save sinners by grace alone, no strings attached, goes against every human instinct. For the God of the universe to love freely and expects nothing in return, runs contrary to every other religious system in the world. Whether it is the Buddhist eightfold path, or the Hindu doctrine of karma, or the Jewish ceremonial laws, or the Islamic Sharia law, all of these were designed by man. It is man's way to try to earn God's favor, to try to earn God's salvation, try to earn God's pleasure. And only Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, can offer God's unconditional love. Only Jesus Christ, the God of very God in human flesh, could be so extravagant in His love, so extravagant in His grace, Only Jesus Christ, through whom the world was created, through whom the world was made, would give freely of His amazing grace. What is this grace and how it is given with no strings attached? When you understand this message, you'll understand the entire Christian faith from beginning to end. Because that word grace summarizes the Christian faith. We saw in the last message that God's grace saved our first parents, saved Adam and Eve. Despite of the fact that they deliberately and willfully disobeyed God, nonetheless the grace of God saved them. And we saw that in three ways. First, 
by not letting them physically die immediately as they're supposed to die. And secondly, by promising them the coming Messiah, the coming Deliverer that will come from the woman. Man of very man, but God of very God. And thirdly, by shedding of the blood of an innocent animal in order to cover their nakedness of sin. Where do we go from here? The Bible tells us that every human being who is born of a woman in every continent and in every age everywhere was born with Adam and Eve sin genes. A great deal of talk about genes these days and inherited genes. And now they're trying to treat diseases with isolating those diseased genes. (laughs) But believe me when I tell you the Scripture tells us that there is a diseased genes that every one of us have inherited. And the doctors and the scientists cannot isolate it. Only Jesus Christ can. Those genes are manifested in the way we're coming out of the womb declaring independence from God. Those genes in our bodies that we've inherited from Adam and Eve are manifested in our pride that runs rampant. And so the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 summarizes how we are saved and rescued from what these genes can do to us. Someone might be asking, well, why do we need to be saved and rescued from these genes? Leave them alone. (laughs) Have you heard anybody say that? I have. I think it's a good question. I really do. Why do we need to be rescued? Why do we need to be saved from this inherited gene of sin that we have all received by virtue of being human beings? As we saw in the last message, God's justice declared that Those sin genes in our bodies, if not dealt with, the consequences is miserable life and more miserable eternal torment. The courts of heaven have declared that unless those sin genes in our lives are done away with, isolated and done away with, We have a dismal life and more dismal eternal future. That's what the courts of heaven said. Look, I did not make the rules. (laughs) You go over the speed limit. The rule says, the court says, pay the fine or go to prison. I did not make that rule. If it's up to me, I would have had it differently. (laughs) That's what the courts of heaven have declared. That's what justice of God has declared. Now there are some people who would say, oh yes, yes, we agree that the sin genes have consequences. But then they say, well, the way to deal with this sin gene is to do a lot of good works. And the more good works you do, you help alleviate the consequences of those sin genes. That is not the way of Christ. There are other churches who teach, yes, yes, Jesus died on the cross, but you have to atone for your own sin by doing certain things. That is not the way of Christ. There are others who teach, oh, yes, Jesus forgives, but you have to earn His forgiveness. That is not the way of Christ. Yet others would say, redemption is made possible on the cross of Calvary, but you have to buy your redemption. 
That is not the way of Christ. The problem is this. The Bible tells us that no one, but no one, but no one can climb into God's chamber uninvited. No one can earn God's favor no matter what they do, even if they burn their body. No one can buy his way or her way into heaven. It is an impossibility. You cannot do it. No one can. God is the one who has to come to us. And that is what sets Christianity apart. That's what sets our faith apart. It's like that. I love the description of the little boy about an elevator, or as they say in Australia and England, the lift. His description of an elevator is that uh, he said, I got into that little room and the upstairs came down. I love that. I love that. That's what happened to us who are in Christ Jesus. We went into the room of grace. The upstairs came down. Now, you know, it wasn't long ago. Some of you might remember this, that there was this Englishman, a Brit, who was absolutely obsessed with Queen Elizabeth II. I mean, he was obsessed. His obsession led him to break through the most incredible security shield in Buckingham Palace. I mean, they still cannot figure out how he got there. And sure enough, it got all the way inside the palace, and he went into the bedroom of the queen, and he was waiting for her when she came in at night. And she comes in there, and he's just sitting in the chair waiting for her. I mean, he did not harm her. He was not harming her. He did not have any weapons. But he was obsessed that he's going to see her. So he got there and must scare her half to death. But beloved friend, I want to tell you, no one can sneak into God's chamber. No one. I tell you what, it is an impossibility. You cannot do it. We can only meet him when he comes to us. We can only see him when he comes to us. You can't climb up to it. There is no ladder big enough. You can't earn it. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough possession. Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul summarizes the way in which God comes to us to rescue us from our sin genes through the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The first ten verses of Ephesians 2. Three things that you must understand to understand who you are in Jesus Christ. Three things. Here's what the Apostle Paul tells us. Those three things summarize the entire Christian faith. Summarize your Christian walk. Summarize who you are in Christ Jesus. First, he said, God's grace takes away our dismal past. Secondly, he said, God's grace gives us a glorious present. Thirdly, he says, God's grace leads us into a stupendous futures. How does God's grace take away our dismal past? Remember the inherited genes? Our inherited genes, said the Apostle Paul, made us to be born spiritually dead. That's the symptoms of that gene. (laughs) We are born spiritually dead. Now there are some people who would say, Oh, yes, yes, there's something wrong with the human race. We understand there's something wrong. But nothing that science and technology in time will not cure. Well, science and technology have never been able to cure diseases. It's only discover more diseases. Science and technology have never eliminated poverty. Science and technology will never be able to overcome death. 
there are other Christians who would say, in my natural state, in my natural state, before Christ came into my life, I was like a man in a ditch. And I was trying to climb out of the ditch. And I was trying to climb my way out of it. And I couldn't do it. So Jesus came, took my hand, pulled me out, and I came out of the ditch. Wrong. Dead wrong. <laughs> Why? The Bible said we were dead in sin. Pray, tell me how a dead person can stretch out his hand. Pray, tell me how can a dead person even know that he's in a ditch. No way. Before God's grace came into our lives, we were spiritual corpses. Until God's grace breathed His Spirit into our spiritual life, into our dead spiritual corpses, we could not even make a move toward God. Let me tell you, this spiritual death is a very weird type of death. Yep, you heard me right. It's weird. Is absolutely weird type of death. Why? Because you're physically moving around and, and you are going around and, and you're alive physically. In fact, what you're doing all throughout your life is basically declaring your independence from God. You want to do things your way. You want to live your way. You want to go your way. And that's what you're doing with that life. But inside, you're dead. Look at verse 1 and 2 of Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in all of the sons of disobedience. What's the Apostle Paul saying? Here's what he's saying. He is saying that before grace came into your life, before grace came into my life, before grace came into our lives, you were a dead man walking. You were a dead woman walking. That's what he said. You were like a zombie. A zombie is a person who's dead, actually dead, very dead, but on his feet walking around. Before God's grace came into our lives, we were not only dead men walking and dead women walking, but we were enslaved to sin. We were in the chains and the grip of sin. We had no power to overcome. Look at verse 2. Paul said, We were enslaved to the world system and to the evil spirit who controls this world system. We thought like what unbelievers think now. We talked like they talk. We were filled with greed and hatred and lust and arrogance and self-assertion just like the best of them. <laughs> and we had no room for God. So, our past, what was it? First, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were enslaved to sin, have no power over its chains. And thirdly, the Apostle Paul is saying here that actually, in our past, we were subject to the wrath of God. Did I hear you say wrath? Yes, 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 you did. Yes, that's exactly what you heard me say. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. You've got to be kidding. I've heard about these religious right people who are so angry and always talking about the wrath of God. I never thought I'll see one in the flesh. Well, you've seen, just seen one right now. You've seen one who is quoting the Scripture, not making it up. That's what God said. That's what the Word of God said. But wait a minute. 
I know God to be a loving God. I know God to be a fair God. I know God to be merciful God. Even I can accept the justice of God. But wrath, surely that's old-fashioned religion. Surely that's old-fashioned Christianity. Let me ask you this. Do you know why? Do you know why the average person does not take God's wrath seriously? Is because they do not take sin seriously. Do you know the reason why they hate you and kind of despise you and they call you goody-goody? Because they see that you're having a relationship with God that they do not have and they don't like it. How could they? The Bible said they are dead in trespasses and sin. But listen carefully, please. Paul is saying to the Christian, Christian, listen to what God said. If you have received the grace of God, if you have received the gift of eternal life from the hand of God, if you have received salvation free from the hand of God, you are no longer under wrath. You will never be under wrath again. He says, you were. Because if you do not understand that, your whole Christian life is so messed up. It really is. I'm going to explain that in a minute. You're going to live a a miserable Christian life rather than a joyous, exciting Christian life. If you have not received the grace of God and you are seeking that with all of your heart, listen to me. The very reason why you're listening to me right now is because God wants to give you His grace. Ask Him for it today. He will give it to you. Grace takes away our dismal past. Paul said, secondly, grace gives us a glorious present. A glorious present. The Christian past is a dreadful condition. But when grace comes in, oh, everything's changed. Everything's changed. Look at Ephesians 2, 4, verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in trespasses. It is no longer a dead man walking. It is no longer a dead woman walking. It is now an alive man walking. It is now an alive woman walking. It is by grace that you have been saved and God raised you up with Christ and seated you with Him in the heavenlies. Now, a lot of people stumble over this, but listen carefully. You're going to love what I'm going to tell you. Do you understand what it means for you to be sitting in the heavenly places? It blows my mind. It blows my mind. It boggles my mind. It means that you have been set free from sin. You have been set free from the power of sin. You have been set free from the consequences and the wages of sin that the courts of heaven have already pronounced. You have been set free. Why? Because there are no slaves in heaven. And you are seated in the heavenly places. And if you are seated in the heavenly realm, beloved friend, you are no longer enslaved to sin. You know, Christian, do you know what that means? 
It means that if you are the recipient of God's grace, you have victory over lust. You have victory over greed. You have victory over anger. You have victory over jealousy. You have victory over envy. You have victory over fear. Yes, you have victory over anxiety. You have victory over doubt. You have victory over any addiction, whether it be alcohol or pornography or the rest of it. In case nobody told you, let me tell you that when grace came into your life, power came with that grace. Not only just to deliver you from the sin and the consequences of sin, but from the power of sin right now. In case nobody told you, when you came to Christ, the chains were broken and you have been set free. If you are enslaved of sin, beloved, let me tell you something. If you are not, the possibility that you are not saved. But if you are saved and you know you are saved, then either you did not know that you have power to have victory, or you have not learned how to claim that power to have victory over sin. I'm not saying you're going to become perfect. Don't misunderstand that one. I'm saying that you have power. You can look back in your life. I'm going to say more and more about this. That you can look back in your life and you see things that have enslaved you. Now you've been set free. And you're continuously to grow in victory. Continuously having more and more victory in your life. That's what it means to have the grace of God. You are seated in the heavenly already now. Not sometime when this earthly tent folds and go to heaven. No, I'm talking about now. That's what Paul said. It's in the present tense. You are seated now in the heavenlies. And there are no slaves in heaven. Some of you might be looking at verse 8 of Ephesians 2. Probably is the most familiar verse to Christians next to John 3.16. And you're probably asking, well, yeah. How how can I be saved by grace alone, and then I'm saved by faith alone? You know, what is this? I'm glad you asked. It's a great question. I want you to look at the verse, please. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that... What is that? Circle that in your Bible. What is that? It's referring to faith. It's not of your own doing, it's a gift from God. That's what he's talking about. You know, people think that faith is something. I'm talking about saving faith. That they, they have something they have to generate from within. Oh, I have to have faith. I have to have faith. And I have to believe. I've got to have faith to believe. And they kind of think they whip themselves into frenzy. They're going to have faith to believe. No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. The only thing you're going to generate is a bunch of hot air. It doesn't work that way for salvation. When we're talking about daily faith, walking in faith, this is something you have to do because this is part of that I'm going to come to that. The good works that have been in store for you, part of that is faith. But I'm talking about saving faith here, so you understand what I'm talking about. He is talking about saving faith, not living faith, or daily faith. When you exercised faith in believing and receiving God's gift of eternal life, that faith was not yours to begin with. That faith was a gift from God. He gave it to you in order that your eyes be open, the blind eyes and the dead corpse can be alive again. 
He had to give you faith in order to get you to understand the enormity of your sin and your desperate need for grace. He had to do it as a gift. I know human ego can't stand that. I know we want to feel like we've done something. You know, we, we just we, we have a little bit of credit. You got no credit. Step on your ego. <laughs> Live with it. God did it all. And you received it free. Grace takes away our dismal sin. Grace gives us a glorious present. (laughs) And grace leads us into stupendous futures. Here's what Paul is saying. That grace of God not only took away our dismal past and took it away. Those of you who are having a hard time understanding that, how can God do that? That's grace. You don't have to do anything He did it all. Leave it with Him. Don't go back to it. He has forgiven you. That grace not only gives us a glorious present, but He gives us stupendous futures. I keep saying futures. Futures in the plural. Why? Because Paul seemed to be talking about two futures here. He is talking about an immediate future in verse 10 of Ephesians 2, and then he's talking about a distant future in verse 7. Our immediate future consists of the wonderful occupation of being an ambassador, representative of the King of glory. That's what the immediate future. You have already changed position. You're no longer a slave, you're an ambassador. You're not in prison anymore. You are in the embassy suite. You're no longer in prison, but you are set free because you are in the heavenlies. And just as an ambassador of a given country is not free to say what he thinks, do what some of them do, or do what you want to do, or act the way you want to act, but rather say, do, and live by the laws of your home country government, so is the Christian believer. As an ambassador for Jesus Christ, you are to walk and behave as one. Someone say, well, you know, well, if I'm saved by grace, that's wonderful. Wonderful. No good works. Ah, good works follow grace. Not before. I'm going to come to that again in a minute. We are saved by grace alone. Nothing else. But good works has been in store for you before you were predestined. Good works have been in store for you before you knew that God is going to open your spiritual eyes and raise you from the spiritual death and to know and receive the gift of God. Some people say, well, we are saved by a combination of grace and good works. Not in your life. Listen to me. You are saved by grace alone, not by a combination But good works is merely our expression of gratitude. It's our expression of thankfulness. It's our expression of saying, thank you for that free grace that you have given me. I want to give my life if I have to in thankfulness for your grace. It's your response. That's what the good works that Paul talking about here. Now there's some people who say, you know, if I'm saved by grace, you know, then I can sin to my heart's content. Yeah, I'm just going to, you know, I'm once saved, always saved, you know, you heard that. And so actually, nothing to have, I just live with, 
I've got news for you. If you ever think he'll do that, chances are you're not saved. Because a saved person does not want to do that. Or some people say, well, I'm saved by grace. So, you know, I can, I, I can, I just sit on my blessed assurance and do nothing. If you're not expressing your gratitude to God for His grace, you have an erroneous view of the Christian faith. Let me give you an example. Suppose the Queen of England walks down the street, picks up the hobo from the street, takes him back to the palace, and then adopts him as a son. He's going to become a prince. Wash him, clean him, put a nice clothes on, sign the adoption paper. After all is said and done, the next morning he's back in the streets, living exactly what, like he used to be. You would say, this is crazy. It's nuts. It's exactly right. For a Christian to say, now I'm saved by grace. I can live any which way I want. That's exactly the same thing here. No. When God adopted you and gave you His grace, now you've got to learn how to behave like a prince. How to walk like a prince, you know. He now has to begin to learn to speak like a prince. He's now got to learn how to act like a prince. He now has to learn how to work like a prince. And that's the immediate future that Paul is talking about, that the grace of God brings. But in verse 7 of chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, Paul talks about a destined future. That in the ages to come, he might show us, show the immeasurable Incomparable, you have all kinds of words in every translation, but what it is, really, we know what it means, mind-boggling. <laughs> that's, that's really the, the blunt translation. The mind-boggling riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God has given us grace now. God has been gracious to us now. But listen, <laughs> He's going to show us far more grace when we see Him face to face. God has blessed us here and now, but this is nothing in comparison to the blessings that He is going to lavish upon us when we are with Him face to face. God has lavished His grace here. Oh, but He is going to overwhelm us when we are with Him face to face. There is no good thing that He will ever withhold from those who are saved by His grace. For it is by grace that you are saved by grace, which is not your faith, but by faith, which is not your faith, but the gift of God. My beloved friend, you're saved for a purpose, to serve the living God. Only an ungrateful person would take all of God's grace and never say thank you. Please ask yourself that question. Are you serving with all of your heart in thankfulness to the grace of God? Are you? Some of you might be trying so hard and you want to please God and you really want to know God and you're seeking with all of your heart and you're tired and you're frustrated because all of your efforts don't bring you peace. Today, you can say, God, give me your grace that brings me peace and joy, then teach me how to walk in good works. Let's pray. Father, only you know the need of every heart, the condition of every heart. 
the place of every heart. You know our thoughts before we think them. And therefore, Lord, we come to the one who knows us through and through and say, Lord God, for those who are seeking and searching, give them the peace that comes with your grace. For those who have taken your grace for granted, stir them up to walk in the good works that you have prepared for them to walk in. For, oh God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.